everyone. Welcome to Figment of My Reality, where we talk about the true stuff that makes this big old world seem made up. I'm your first podcast host, Jeremy Bales. I'm your other co-host, Jason Wright. So Jeremy, things are starting to get a little better. We're going from uh, yellow to green. Things are opening up. Get rid of that. Uh, get rid of the system. No more green, no more yellow, no more red. Open everything. It's just, a, it's just open. And you know who I think we have to thank? Who's that? I think we got big business Ronald McDonald <laughs> and big business Mickey Mouse to thank. I think they got tired of sitting to the side, letting all their business go, and they said, nope, it's time for us to speak up and get things open. So, Jason, what you're hypothesizing here is that they could have done this at any juncture, at any point in time, but because they got bored doing whatever they were doing on quarantine, they're like, okay, it's up, it's t- game's up, uh, let's, uh, let's open everything. <laughs> I think it was more of an image thing. I think Ronald Mm. and Mickey were thinking, you know what? We better sit back. We shouldn't push too hard yet. But they started getting the money shakes. They they weren't getting their doses of of hundred dollar liquid gold into their veins. (laughs) Exactly. And they said, you know what? It's time for us to open it back up. What I really am curious about is who do you think led the charge on this, Mickey or Ronald? My guess is probably Mickey, because if there's any red-blooded americans out there like myself we still patronized that good old ronald mcdonald factory regularly on this quarantine (laughs) my friend drive-thru is an amazing thing and i don't think disney world has no (laughs) drive-thru mickey's just walking around with the other characters in uh just sad disneyland just just choking them out (laughs) just choking them out saying how the hell are we gonna open these doors how am i supposed to pay the bills around here somebody fix this (laughs) <laughs> fix this <laughs> it's gotta be it right <laughs> i mean you don't get to where disney world is without having a ruthless leader and <laughs> are you sure it has, to, it has to be mickey you think it's mickey you don't think it's uh walt disney finally unfrozen from his capsule <laughs> i don't think so i think it's been mickey the whole time behind the scenes so i guess that brings me to a question jason what do you think these guys were doing good old Ronald Mick and Mickey Mouse himself were doing on quarantine. What? Well, I what did they said, do? I think I think Mickey was just beating off the other <laughs> cast members in like a battle royale. <laughs> yeah, I think. Well, it was more of a, they're the submissive one, and Mickey's the one running the show. So ah. what can they what what can they really do? And he's just kind of thumping them. Do you think anyone fought back? In this massacre, um, I feel like Pete might have. Probably Pete, <laughs> but, but only for a hot second. Only a hot second. Um, Goofy probably tried to speak up before he got backhanded. He said, "Go back um, to college, Goofy. Finish your masters." I like to think maybe the the fresh faces, maybe like Loki and Thor, tried to team up and do something. But I don't think oh, that's enough. But yeah, I was gonna say I don't think they could overcome the sheer raw power and strength of mickey mouse my guess is that when loki and thor tried to step to mickey mickey just went out and embarrassed odin and then just like i'm your dad now. <laughs> <laughs> so now so now mickey has two sons uh named loki and thor 
And as far as Ronald, I think he's just sitting in the back room with the cooks, probably smoking it up. <laughs> you know what I think he's trying to do? I think he's trying to make play places happen again. He's like, no, guys, it was a great <laughs> idea. <laughs> it wasn't a cesspool for germs or anything. I think we just keep going. <laughs> this kind of thing never happened when we had them. <laughs> play places. It's coming back. It's going to be huge. <laughs> oh, gosh. It has to be, right? It has to be. Yeah. For sure. Well, I'm just happy that they're able to figure out all this Corona stuff. Happiest place on earth. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Well, I'm going to get on to my particular story this week, which could be seen as a little less happy, but it's it's kind of a power through story. So I'm going to tell you about uh, the man who participated in the Marathon de Sable. No, I don't know how to say it. It's Marathon D-E-S-S-A-B-L-E-S. So what this is, Jason, is it's a six-day, 250-kilometer, 155-mile marathon race through the Sahara Desert. So hell. Literally. Dang close. Literally my hell. (laughs) Just running in heat. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, so the guy, the guy was an Italian named Mauro, M-A-U-R-O, Prosperi. Um, nowadays, this race can host up to 1,300 participants, which at that point, it's described as it's really hard to get lost because it's kind of, everybody's running at their own pace, and it kind of turns into a snake thing, like follow the leader. Everybody mm-hmm. stays on path. Unfortunately, in 1994, when Mauro entered this beautiful race there were only 80 participants a lot more likely to get lost he was 39 at the time and he was an avid athlete did a lot of big races loved sort of traveling to race as well and he was like you know what i'm gonna run this race through the sahara it's gonna be a good old time and you know i'm gonna cross is it (laughs) well if it's on if it's on this podcast it's probably not a good time (laughs) (laughs) the issue with 80 participants it's a little bit easier to get lost. You get a little bit more separation. I would say it's also a bit easier to get lost when there's a sandstorm in the Sahara, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would think so. So for the first couple of days, I guess the first four days of this six-day event, Malro was one of the leaders in it. He was always the first Italian in the, uh, the checkpoints. And at the end of the day, he put up his Italian flag so he could link up with the other Italians in this race. Uh, however, on day four... That's when the trouble sort of started brewing. And by started, the trouble started brewing, I mean a sandstorm kicked up and lasted for about eight hours. I mean, do you keep running then? Or do you just kind of sit on the ground and, you're, and, and say, say and say a prayer? Yeah, yeah. I would subscribe more to your idea. This guy was like, yeah, people will find me. They probably have the means to find me in the desert after a sandstorm. There seemed to be, a, one of my sources was actually what looked like an article he had wrote. He seemed to have a very sunny outlook for, for the most part of it. I mean, if your idea of fun is running 160-ish miles in in mm-hmm. less than a week in one of the yeah. hottest places on Earth, maybe getting caught in a sandstorm isn't that bad. Maybe that's just maybe that's just like oh, maybe that's just like the equivalent of us forgetting to buy milk at the store and like oh god i gotta just run a little back bump and get in some, the road <laughs> get some milk another trip to the store but for him for him it's oh i got lost in the desert eh, whatever i planned on running here yeah, for six so days might as well i mean what's what's a couple more miles if i'm off track so it lasted like i said eight hours 
And his biggest frustration, according to him, was that, you know, he during the race, he was like top four the entire time. His thought process was, man, I probably won't end top four anymore. <laughs> so that day after the sandstorm, he basically just, because it lasted eight hours, it was already dark again by the time he resurfaced. So he slept, slept that night. So we'll say morning of day five. He wakes up. He said, you know what? I'm not too worried. I'll probably run into somebody else who met my same sort of fate. We'll uh, we'll link up together and we'll finish strong. <laughs> Didn't really pan out that way. What kind of idea is that? I got lost in oh, the middle of the desert. hopelessly optimistic one. <laughs> like, I got lost in the middle of the desert. Chances are somebody else got lost in the exact same place that I got lost. Yeah, we'll be fine, right? So what he had said in his... Uh, his interview or his article was that the runners all had to be self-sufficient because they knew what they were getting into. So they had like dried rations. They had like hats and stuff to, to protect themselves. He said he was a little bit darker skinned. So like the sun didn't damage him as much as it could somebody else. So he decided to continue running on the fifth day. He said about uh, four hours of running, he saw a particularly high dune. So he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go up to that dune and see what I see. He didn't see not a thing, not a body, not a nothing. <laughs> At that moment, he thought, eh, maybe, maybe I'm in a little bit of trouble. Maybe this will start to be uncomfortable. He's like, Ugh, I guess it's more than milk this time. <laughs> so, Jason, what would you do? First thing, first thing, gut instinct, what you do the moment you realize you could be lost in the Sahara Desert. If your answer is not urinate in a water bottle, you might be wrong. <laughs> I won't say you are wrong because, I mean, I feel like there's other things you could do at that point. But that's what this guy did. Is First thing he did, he uh, took one of his spare water bottles, filled her on up. Because that was probably when he was going to be most hydrated and likely the most drinkable water. The most drinkable liquid, I suppose. I mean, maybe that's where Bear Girls got it from. 1994. Yep, this adds up. Uh -huh. <laughs> this is where the fascination with drinking your, his own urine started. <laughs> Bear Grylls and knew about it. He was actually the guy who was in fifth most of the time. When I was 16, 17 years old, that's I'm surprised whenever I got in trouble, I didn't just immediately go to drinking my own urine after as much Bear Grylls as I watched. I mean, it seemed like the solution <laughs> to everything was drink your own urine. Yeah, you know, bad grade on homework <laughs> yeah, urine. Exactly. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Didn't wrestle well? You're. <laughs> After the first day, I was basically just trying to maintain a steady pace um, in one direction or another. Because at this point, like I said, the runners were expected to be self-sufficient. Self Mauru had a compass. He had a map. And he was like, you know what? I should be all right. Not realizing that you have to have some kind of reference point, not just middle of the desert. He uh, headed the same direction every day, at least that particular day. Day two is when it, things got a little bit interesting as far as my read was. At sunset, he heard the sound of a helicopter. And he expected, nope, got a flare gun as well. What an easy, easy loss situation I've been in. Pulled out the uh, flare gun. Shot it right in the air, right by it. Helicopter didn't see it, bud. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know how this would have happened. For a couple main reasons. You're in the middle of a desert. Helicopter is almost certainly on a manhunt. And it's likely very little light pollution. How do you miss 
a freaking flare gun. I'll tell you how. You're in the Sahara Desert. You are drinking your own urine. And... He's not drinking the urine yet. It says clearly he's not desperate okay, yet. He just desperate. has it on standby. Either way, the helicopter's really not there. He thought there was a helicopter there. Oh. He shoots the flare. The helicopter keeps going. Waste the flare. No heli. Wow, Jason. You saw right through mm-hmm. that. That's amazing. You saw that like he couldn't see through the <laughs> exactly. <helicopter. laughs> exactly. So a couple days later, as he continues his his route, he comes across a marabout, which is kind of a Muslim shrine where uh, people can st- stop uh, when they're crossing the desert, hoping it was inhabited. But no luck for him. The only inhabitant was a man in a coffin. Mm, not great company. <laughs> Yeah, on, on one bright side, he did have a roof over his head for a little bit. Again, it states very specifically in this interview that he did not break open that urine bottle yet. He was basically just holding out, holding out. There were a couple other main things he did to stay alive. The one I'm going to highlight is he was able to, as he stayed out in this marabout for a couple of days, there was bats. And he was able to either catch or kill a bat of some kind and... After he had consumed a sufficient amount of water from both his source, his desperation source, which we won't mention from this point on, uh, he actually did end up drinking some bat blood, which might have been the first ever case of Corona. <laughs> we have no idea. Coronavirus. <laughs> oh, no idea. I, I have a problem with this right now. Okay. I know I know pee's supposed to be sterile. And he likes to taste. There's, and he likes to taste. But there's likely some bacteria in sure. it, in that bottle. The idea of carrying around your uh-huh. urine for several yeah. days in the hot desert while that bacteria <laughs> grows and holding that as your desperation water is just not sitting right. What I would pro- what I would assume is it's like his not necessarily his physical desperation of man, I'm really dehydrated. It was a mental thing. So he's like, I will only drink this once I know for sure that I have lost my coherent mind and have gone over the brink to insanity. <laughs> he said uh, in the article he killed a bunch of snakes and lizards too to, to have some sort of protein source. He kept on soldiering on. And uh, it came across on the, I think, eighth or ninth day. He came across like a very... Uh, he saw goats is what it was, now that I recall. He saw goats, and there was a, a shepherd who saw him and, and took him in to a local village. He eventually got help from uh, a hospital when he was able to get flown out there. But for nine days, he was walking the desert, ran the desert, whatever it was. Apparently, he traveled 180 miles, lost 35 pounds. I wish I could do that in nine days. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever ran... 189 miles in my in my life total um that'd be an interesting thing to try to figure out you do that let me know next week yeah, <laughs> you just run, run those numbers for me real quick run those numbers and let me know what you come up with <laughs> he actually to this day remains a a pretty big enthusiast for those types of runs and he went back in 2012 and actually completed the race so that's so he's a massacre. Yeah, he's actually out of his mind. <laughs> um, I think that is from the desperation source. <laughs> he still carries the the other half of that urine with him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never, never did it. <laughs> but I thought it was a kind of it was a little bit of a like a hard read 
to see the stuff he went through in the desert, but ultimately going back and finishing the race, I thought was pretty wicked cool. But that has to be just the wild, like just the wildest. That guy just uh, did not give of, an uh, F about anything. <laughs> What's that? That guy just did not give an F about anything. No, he, he gave an F about uh, snakes, lizards, bats, anything he could catch, eat, and kill. <laughs> <laughs> but just the thought of man maybe i shouldn't do that again no that was complete that went out completely out the window because he was like oh i could have gotten fourth then let's see what i get this year (laughs) which is close to 20 years later he went back and finished it up maybe he got it so that'd be almost 60 as a 59 year old man jason maybe he just got addicted to the bat blood and the snake blood oh and this is the only acceptable place where he can do that. So what you're what you're telling me is that he went back to run the race, got off pace, went back to that same like Muslim shrine and started feeding on bats. Just to get his fix. Man, that is a strong addiction if you can go 20 years and it's still just eating at you just a little bit. story this week is going to be something a little different it's not straight up just a story it's going to be more of a a few things i'm throwing at you so we're going to look at the weird world of the fast food industry i see how ronald got to you (laughs) i'm going to pitch you a few different ideas and you're going to tell me out of the four which three you think are true and which one do you think i made up oh gosh (laughs) <laughs> all right so are we doing question and answer style do i get time to deliberate what's the what's the formatting here i'll throw out all four of of the different things to you you can ask a question or two after i give the description of each one of these and then you'll just tell me which one you think i made up and which one do you think are just three ridiculous things that various fast food companies did that were completely wrong and did not work for them <laughs> okay i'm excited I, I like change so the first thing we're gonna hit up is different campaigns commercial campaigns any advertising or special promotions or anything okay is this gonna be a reoccurring uh, segment ish type thing maybe maybe we can if if people like it or we like it we can uh revisit it maybe we can do it with different topics um the fast food world is a good one to do because there is a plethora of terrible ideas of crazy people (laughs) okay so the first the first one i'm gonna throw at you is from carl's jr okay and this is the don't bother me i'm eating campaign which is basically a commercial campaign where people would orgasmically eat these cheeseburgers for 30 seconds i don't like this with their eyes rolling back into their head and groaning on your television jason why is that (laughs) the first one (laughs) why people came up to talk to them and they would pretty much just tell them to buzz off they're too busy enjoying they're Carl's Jr. And you can just imagine how off-putting <laughs> watching that would be. Did you say three of these are real? Yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, what's the time period of this ad campaign? Um, let me see if, if I have one here. Because I can't see that being any type of approved, any type of recently. 
my article does not have a date on this one. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't have. I don't. I don't know exactly when this was going on. That's fine. I will. Uh, I'll hold my other questions till the end. Okay. So our second campaign. I'm taking notes, by the way. And then I have to burn this page because I don't ever want to <laughs> ever want to reference or see this again. The second campaign is also a commercial campaign, but it, this is something that was done kind of like one of those promotions that it was done live when they videotaped it and edited it down into a commercial. Uh-huh. And it was uh, check out my box campaign for Jack in the Box, <laughs> and it was. <laughs> <laughs> they would drive around in a white van and then randomly open it up on the street and try to get people to come over and enjoy a fast food item from Jack in the Box. So basically they were trying to promote these new box meals that they were selling and kind of creepily like an old man in a candy truck try to lure people over. I hate this. I hate to this enjoy. so much. And then... And then they would videotape their reactions and of getting the different food and stuff. So, <laughs> but this little game we've invented here, one of the first two is true. <laughs> I don't like it. For sure. 100%. One of the first two, if uh, not both, are true. Yeah, at least one of the first two are true. Okay, continue. All right. Wait, do you have dates on that? Hitting me up on these dates. Yeah, it's just... I feel like it's an easy question. This it, this just says in the 1990s. Okay. Continue. Okay, so our third story is the Frack Pack from KFC. Frack Pack? Go ahead. <laughs> so the Frack Pack is kind of a spinoff of a word used in Battlestar Galactica where they would use the word they would use the word fracken in the place of the word fuck and and kfc did not know that when they started this campaign smart so in essence they were in essence they were advertising the fuck pack (laughs) none none of this is this isn't great none of this is good (laughs) so after finding out that the frack pack was not a good idea. They changed it, but wanted to stick with their main idea. So they changed the slogan of the campaign to the can't say that word on TV sweepstakes. No way. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and say that's immediately red flagging as one of the more likely to be Jason. <laughs> no, but you don't know Battlestar Galactica, though. So, I don't I, know. Okay. I will say, I will say if it is true... I don't know which one's dumber. I think I would just stick to my guns and stay with Frack Pack and not switch to the... Yeah, because there's oh, plenty of people think. who I'm sure don't know that. All right, hit me with four. And the fourth and final one on this is the Whopper Virgin campaign. <laughs> okay. So basically, the Whopper Virgin campaign was a, another one of these live commercial type things where Burger King went into these rural areas all over the world to places that didn't have any fast food or anything and asked these people to eat a Big Mac and a Whopper and tell them which one is best and this got a 
lot of criticism for several reasons. I can't imagine why. <laughs> Some of them exploiting people of of different worldly views and different experiences. And two, feeding these high cholesterol, greasy, nasty burgers to people oh, that have never goodness. come across any type of fast food before. So basically destroying their internal organs. These <laughs> all suck. <laughs> So those are those are four, three of which are true and done campaign ads for different fast food companies. So we have the Carl's Jr. Don't bother me while I'm eating. Jack in the Box. Check out my box. Frack Pack. Can't say that. <laughs> and Whopper Virgin from BK. Yep. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna eliminate Frack Pack. I think Frack Pack is true mm-hmm. because I don't know if Jason would come up with a Battlestar Galactica reference. Valid. Um, I'm following you. So I've eliminated KFC, <laughs> Carl's Jr., Jack in the Box, Whopper. So the way I do in multiple choice in, in college was. <laughs> Basically try to find the ones that are similar to others, but would be slightly different. And then until you come to the right one. At least it worked for some things. (laughs) I see how you skated by in college. (laughs) Pro tip, kids. (laughs) Find one that's the same as a lot of them, but slightly different. Um, I don't... I think I'm going to eliminate the... <laughs> I don't Tough, huh? I don't want any of these to be true. <laughs> but three out of four of them are. Okay. I'm gonna get rid of Whopper. I think that one's probably the most feasible. I don't think it's smart, but I think it's easy to go and be like, hey, compare our stuff um on another podcast, which I won't reference because they haven't uh promoted us. <laughs> <laughs> They actually talk about a, an open letter from Burger King to McDonald's. I know that they have tried to uh, prove themselves better than McDonald's. So I'm going to say Whopper is also true. Jack in the Box. <laughs> Carl's Jr. <laughs> Two sketchy fast food places. They're the worst, right? So like, there's no familiarity. I don't know anything about either of these things. I don't. Carl's Jr. Isn't that Checkers or Hardee's or something? Yeah, yeah, I think it's Hardee's and Carl's Jr. are the same thing. I like Hardee's. I like thick burgers. Jack in the Box is just a little creepy guy with the pointy hat, right? Yeah. I hate. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say say you made up Carl's Jr. Is that your final answer? No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. do I stick with my gut? We need an answer. Yeah, it's... No, you made up Jack of the Box. Jack of the Box. <laughs> Final answer. <laughs> Final answer. Yeah, I think it's wrong. You sure? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next, what do you say is the one you're going with? Let's go. Jack in the Box is one I think you made up. 
And you would be right. That, well, no, it's not great, honestly. <laughs> the state of campaigns for fast food is still not great. Wow, you hit the nail on the head trying to mirror some of these. Check out my box. <laughs> you just think, what can I make some type of innuendo to and would be a terrible idea to do? And <laughs> there I, you go. I could almost Bad. guarantee if you sent this to Jack in the Box, he'd be like, oh, good idea. <laughs> Wow, I was so close to pulling the trigger on Carl's Jr.'s boy, because that yeah that is the most repulsive to me. That one is bad. I can't imagine enjoying, you know, Fast and the Furious two and seven. Oh, We're on seven to, now. <laughs> time to cut to a commercial, and all of a sudden I'm watching this guy with sauce dripping down his chin and his oh, eyes rolling gross. back in his head. Dude, uh, uh. I don't don't like it. (laughs) The world of fast food is a gross (laughs) and repulsive place. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, If you enjoyed the show, we really can't say how helpful and uh, how much it helps the show as a whole when you guys leave a review and, and rate it five stars. Uh, if you're interested in contacting us with one of your stories or you want to hear us talk about something that you know about, uh, you can reach us at Fig of My Reality on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And our email is figmintofmyreality at gmail.com. Hit us with that fact. This week's piece of reality is the speed of a computer mouse is measured in Mickey's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jeremy Bales. And I'm Jason Wright. Talk to you next week.